This is Chrome Bills, by the way. Chrome Bills. And we're drunk. Chrome Bills, y'all. It's Chrome Bills, y'all. It's Chrome Bills, y'all. We built it from the ground floor. Pound for pound as we found a crowdsource. Now you hear a loud roar and a downpour of A.O. from the south. SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you go. Subscribe and leave a comment. Be a friend of the show. Seize Mike, Steve, Bill, ZK, Chromosome. Want a Chrome Bill shirt? Pay Alice the dough. The intro and the interlude's new. There's something huge in the interview. Who are you? Who are you? True. We'll see through like an x-ray. I pass it to C's with a fabricated segue. So press play and let us send the energy. Throughout the potosphere to all our friends and enemies. Eventually we gotta let it go viral Be sure to stay tuned for the episode title This is that time where I make a quick joke And write a quick note So it ends up on a clip show Yo, this shit's dope ah, Making each F better than the last show Either way I'm staring at Steve's cat's show call. If this is a road trip, let me hold you down Make that trip from NYC to Chrome Bill South It's Chrome Bill Show It's Chrome Bill Show It's Chrome Bill Show it's Chrome Bills, y'all. It's Chrome Bills, y'all. It's Chrome Bills, you must must want to wanna be in the in the Guinness Book of World Records. Is the dumbest motherfucker, 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 motherfucker alive. So for some reason I don't have a video for C's. So I actually I went out of video because since you're saying I was lagging, it was solidarity. Is that what's going on here? Well, no. If am I lagging? I don't want to lag behind you guys, man. No. Now, uh, c- come back on video, Cole. Okay. You, you're a very pretty boy. All right. You Are you wearing earmuffs? Me, huh? Is that what's? I'm kind of. I got my. Me? Yes. I have my. <laughs> these are called uh, professional headphones, motherfucker. Damn! All I see is like. <laughs> Looks like two cupcakes. I was gonna say. Is it doily? Yeah. Do you put doilies on your headphones? It's also very cold here, and I have electric heating, so I try to keep the temperatures low. True. Do you get do you get killed with the bills? <laughs> I saw you talking about that on Instagram where your electrical you're like five hundred a month. That shit blew my mind. Yo, it was five hundred fifty dollars last month. That's wow. a lot of money. You should talk to Soul. Yeah, yeah. He he may I mean I don't know, he's gonna have me burning arugula <laughs> and like clay pots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can see so we are off and running. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who don't recognize that voice, we are joined by Sage Francis, uh, also one half of the Epic Beard Men. Where is B. Dolan right now? He's doing something with his beard. Please Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Beard. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I think I B. Dolan and I, we hung out yesterday, and that's enough for the week. So he didn't really <laughs> want to like share any more time with me. But no, he's... Um, <sighs> We we did a we every day we were we're trying to like bang out a billion tasks. So this was one of the things he was like, I can't I can't do it that day, and I was like, I can't do it another day. So it's we're kind of kind of trading chores. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you were looking forward to doing this. <laughs> well, I, I have I actually have been looking forward to it. We were we've been talking about this for like two years, so right, yeah. I didn't really want to like keep pushing this further and further. But uh, yeah, B today, I obviously tried to do a, a live stream Q and A with people on Instagram because yesterday we did the epic bear uh, the epic beard man live stream that 
really sucked because we couldn't figure out how to like make it work the way we wanted and I had to drive to Rhode Island for that. I live in Connecticut now. It's just it's been a lot of oh. just back and forth. So yeah. you went out of your way for some shit that didn't pan out. Yeah, it's very oh. aggravating. That's tough. But we're learning as we go. That's the good good news. I was gonna say it took it only took us six minutes to figure this out. That was like a right. record for Chrome Bills. <laughs> yeah. By the way, appreciate you know you know it's always nice when you give love to the little platforms like Instagram. We'd like to thank you for joining the big boys on Chrome Bills. You for know? real, absolutely. <laughs> I love I love getting my my podcast on. <laughs> Where do you, I'm actually you, surprised you don't have a podcast. You know, just the. Well, the problem the problem with that is I'm not around enough people to actually have um, a podcast where I talk to them. So I'd have to do the Bill Burr type thing where I just rant for an hour or whatever. But I, does that I, not interest you? It doesn't. It doesn't. I, I'm not. I'm not much of a talker. I'm really the person who kind of stares off into the distance quite often, and then like, you know, my fiance is like, "How come we never talk?" <laughs> Wait, so that's that's a new thing. The fiance, yeah, I mean, I, the, the concept of fiancés is new, but yours is. When did that happen? Yeah, um, it happened last April. We got engaged. Um, okay. I, I really don't. She never says that to me. I just know that I'm not a good talker, so I always am very self conscious of the fact that people think I'm I'm um, bored or something. But I'm really just kind of like stuck in like some weird. Uncle Sage fantasy land in my head that right. is not easy to communicate. Um, yeah, yeah. So we met actually um, in March of last year and got engaged in April. That's how quick that happened. I've been through enough relationships where um, I understand the kind of person that I am comfortable with and that I trust and that it just felt so right. I'm like, what what else what could I possibly want or wait for in another person that's kind of what kind of kick-started the whole thing and it's definitely crazy it's not something I've ever done in my life so um but it ended up with me moving to Connecticut I am suddenly in a house with a woman and two young girls and I'm making sense of it as I go that's dope man congrats congrats man that's Thanks. awesome. And I also didn't want to rush into the actual marriage because I know I'm going to be touring all year and I can only foresee how that would be a, you know, you get married, have a big celebration and then leave for several months. It just feels like a bad. Well, know, she, I mean, I, I'm, so I'm assuming, it, you know, she's from Connecticut. Like she's, she knew yeah. who you were before you guys met, right? Correct. So, I mean, did that, she's, so she understands part of the deal is that you're going to up and meet up and leave like was she a fan or was it well, yeah that's awkward? the thing that's i guess we we were rushed into a quick understanding of what the situation might be like because we met on the very first tour date of last year so <laughs> we ended up being away for a bulk of the year um the first half of the year while staying in touch every single day and um yeah, she she understands that it's it's going to be a whole different thing now that we've become so close, and I also don't really enjoy the fact that I won't be in their presence, and, um, and yeah, it's something I'm just going to have to live through and experience to truly understand. But I know it's not going to be a thrill. Yeah, I, I think you have a lot of experience with. 
a lot of experience with a lot of experience with what you're about to do. And by that, I mean, like, I don't know that there's much that's happened on a tour that you haven't already seen. This is sort of a first for that. Missing somebody at home. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I've been in long-term relationships. It's always kind of shitty to be away from people back home, but I love you. Bye. It, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that, but on the flip side, I think, um, she's well aware of, I get, she's been given a crash course in the music, indie music lifestyle where we make money on the road. We make money at the merch table and everything else is just cherries on top. You know, whatever you get from streaming services, whatever money you get from online sales, they're helpful. We appreciate it, but that's not paying the bills overall. So, um, until I figure something else out and maybe I will, this is where I am. And it's also important for the Epic Beardman project for us to go out there. Cause the, the best way to promote anything is to tour. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's just a strange, uh, I mean, side benefit. I wouldn't even call it a side benefit. A main benefit is the fact that it gives people a reason to talk about a project. And the more people talk about it, if they go to a show and they bring up your name, they talk about it on social media, they help share um, posts and stuff like that it, from city to city. That is the best way for us with, you know, to, to sidestep the gatekeepers and really get into people's eyes and ears. So it's important. It's always, it's a kind of always, that's, that's how it all started. So I, it is, it's never going to change unless uh, we end up in, you know, living in domes and then everything becomes virtual reality. Right. Like didn't take me any time to get here. Hmm. That's not. It's not a far-fetched reality, honestly. What's your so? If you could cut out, if you could be in a virtual reality and cut out everything, that's that's we got a ways to go before that. If you could only cut out like one or two things on touring, what would it be? <laughs> uh, getting kicked out of a hotel in the morning. Mm. That's number one. Because it's time to go, or because you fucked up. No, because it's time to go. It's okay. like we play late at night. We we ship. We put everything into the van. We get to the hotel. We're still high on adrenaline, and you know we just did a show and we're sweaty and we're excited. It takes you a couple hours to settle down in order to fall asleep, and then four hours later they're trying to kick you out of the hotel room. Um, right. so I'd get rid of that. I would get rid of. I'm not I'm not even really mad at the drives like I like driving I, I typically am the driver of the van I'm okay with that but I guess I would put that as number three number two would be senseless chatter over loud music in the vin venue <laughs> what <laughs> and that is when you interact with fans and they feel and some of them are fans some of them may not be fans they just right. know who you are and they want to talk and like have an interaction that you know um means something dope if there was an app that you could download at somebody's show like when you see them in the crowd instead of like making me waste my voice just text me on this app and then it disappears after the show because i don't want to fucking talk to <laughs> is that what snapchat is all snapchat <laughs> snapchat <laughs> we should give it a new name give it fan like chat slap chat <laughs> i got a question in 2019 uh, is anyone still coming up to you at shows and being like, 
oh, you ain't nice. Like, uh, we should battle. Because I, I have to imagine that was like a pretty regular occurrence 15 and 20 years ago when you were first hitting the road and everyone was competitive and yes. they had seen a Scribble Jam video or something. Yes. And just some like Mike from Wyoming is like, oh, let's go 16 for 16. <laughs> it was, in, that is was that in, all happening now Mike in 2019? That was very, very common for quite a while. And that definitely was one of the most aggravating uh, things about touring. Um, I've been lucky enough to escape that, but I know people still deal with that in 2019. I don't. And I'm, I'm very grateful. I think I give off a vibe where I'm like well beyond that. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's still people who are like, yo, I want to freestyle for you or like, let me spit this in your ear, but it's not like we should battle. You ain't nice. Let's do it. It's like the last time that happened, honestly, was in Detroit. Um, who, what was the name of the club? It was, it was like a famous spot that Eminem used to battle at. So like people were still trying to like retain some type of battle rap glory based on a fake movie. Mile, motherfucker. Yeah. But, Sequel. But when it happens, it does happen, but it's so rare that when it happens, I get excited about it just because it brings me back to a different time. I don't mind it. Do you miss maybe not even battling, but sort of the thrill of the hunt from that that you don't necessarily get in other arenas? Um, No, because battling was very nerve riddling. It was kind of like I I didn't like the anxieties that it gave me. I mean, you don't see it on footage. I look very loose. I look very like I'm having fun. But the whole preparation thing and just like getting in that mindset and knowing you have to be so on point and understanding that your career is on the line almost. It's it's make or break for a lot of these people. Back then, it was like that was if you win that battle or if you get ridiculed in that battle, it can it can split your career in one of two ways. That's really what happened with a lot of people. And um, I mean, people are lying if they said that wasn't really deeply in their head when they got into those things. I don't know how I was able to circumvent that and kind of have more of a loose feel about me because I know every time I get into competitions, I'm feeling that kind of, I just am very uptight. My stomach is spinning and I'm more than happy to be out of that whole thing because that's not what I want to dedicate my creative energy toward or even my I mean I've got enough emotional issues I'm not trying to like like have battle raps that don't really matter be part of my whole (laughs) downfall well I wanted to go Mori Povich and bring out the underground kid (laughs) reignite something but we're bringing Ladies and gentlemen, Esoteric is here to recreate a battle from <laughs> years ago. Es- Esoteric? What's, well, you named those two people from a similar, very same era that uh, I had interactions with them. E- Esoteric's doing great. I mean, he's got the czar face thing going on. Yeah. Um, he he never likes to talk about the battle we had back then. but um, Get to the, boot like Italy. Yeah, the underground kid, he... Let me, I got it. Oh, can we play a little game? Yeah. Chuck, 
and Steve, we got to guess what this guy's up to. No more than like a sentence or two, but okay. I'm I'm gonna say he's not doing well and it's substance related. <laughs> I don't, actually don't remember who that is, so I'm gonna I'll. Uh, yeah, no, I'll Cole, you're talking similar. you're talking about someone like this was on a mixtape that's not even available on like any <laughs> any streaming services or even on CD anymore. Oh, was this the guy on one of the sick awaiting tables? Yeah, the uh, very first one. Oh, yeah. yeah, I do remember this. Now. Yeah. I just forgot the guy's name. Oh, yeah, I've, I'm going to second Coles. That's I mean, that's an easy route to go, but I'm going to say. <laughs> he literally substance. says fought. I was like, yeah. is this a fucking family guy skit? Is this dude for real? He had a very good, cool Rhode Island accent. I used to have one as well. I mean, I'm the faker. He's He was keeping it very Rhode Island real. <laughs> Steve, where are you at? <laughs> I'm good. I'm just enjoying this. What, what what do you think he's up to? Even if you don't know who we're talking about, just take a guess. He's working at Walgreens. Okay, not bad. All right. I I would say he's in prison. The dude was not doing <laughs> he's, well. He's in prison <laughs> for robbing a Walgreens. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely wrote some bad checks. He definitely. I mean, oh, he man. may have just said the. He he, he probably dropped the n bomb to the wrong person and got <laughs> knocked the fuck out. <laughs> That was the issue when he came on the show. He came on my radio show. He was, um, you know, he looked like an extra from the real Slim Shady Please Stand Up video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was dropping N-bombs in his raps. And oh. I was like, yo, you have to you have to stop. <laughs> you can't, like, that's not acceptable. And then that's what kicked everything off. That's how we had even ended up battling. And it was kind of like you very, did a favor, like. You did him a favor editing out the part where he was dropping Ed bombs. Jesus. Agreed. Yeah. But I left the fought. Fought. <laughs> You're not going to It's a fought. <laughs> so uh, one of the nice things about the Epic Beardman material, so you were kind enough to share a preview of what's going to be dropping in March. Right. Right. March 29th, the album comes out. It's called um, This Was Supposed to Be Fun. Right. That's a great name. Where is it? What is that from? Uh, the I, the first song on the album is called Hours and Minutes, and part of the chorus says, um, "This is supposed to be fun." Blah 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 blah. But it was it was a mantra that I used to, or I don't I don't want to say used to. I still do because I when I talk to B, we get a little too serious sometimes, and I'm like, "Yo, this is supposed to be fun." Like this epic beard man shit is supposed to be fun. Like, don't get too bogged down by politics. Don't get too bogged down by uh, socio political matters. Like this, let's have fun. Let's be Beastie Boys, and we just are incapable of it. So I just wanted to make it <laughs> kind of bring that to light. Yeah, it was supposed to be fun. It it ended up being um. A nightmare for part of the process due to the fact that we lost some close people to us wow. and just a, just the turn of, of uh, American politics and um, things going on in our personal lives that it just was like man yeah it's supposed to be fun but how the hell are we going to ignore all this shit going on and so this the album I think is is a bit schizophrenic just because there is some like truly goofy stuff happening but there's also some very dark moments that even it all out where does pistol I, I really, dave where does pistol dave 
fit into that schizophrenia. Yeah. Pistol Dave. Pistol Dave is more of the fun side of things because <laughs> we like to sell. Well, I'm not going to say celebrate. I do personally. Yeah. Yeah. B hates the dude. And um, Slug plays the part of Pistol Dave in the song, but it is about Pistol Dave. And Pistol Dave is many people. Okay. He's a type he, of person. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say most people know a Pistol Dave, but yeah. it is about a Pistol Dave. Oh, there's a particular Pistol Dave. In yeah. Mind. Okay. But it is the kind of person... Every time I talk about him, everyone has their own Pistol Dave story. So that is why I thought it was going to be fun to like get into this whole, let's break down what a Pistol Dave is all about. And on the road, when you have a Pistol Dave, yeah. he brings more drama to the equation than um, what he's supposed to do, which is take care of business. Right. Because they think the music industry is supposed to be a party. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> It's like the underground hip hop version of Chicken Heads, I think. <laughs> uh, he would kill you in, the, in a minute for saying that. I, on first listen, the one that I immediately jumped on was Sand Which uh, one? Because Sand Dunes, the, uh, oh, the yeah. second track, right? Yeah, I mean that's. I, it's it's interesting when I think about your career because I've been listening since probably. Uh, it was late. I mean, ever Cole, when did we live together? That was 2001, 2002, right around when Sick of Waiting Tables 2 came out. Right. Um, or the second volume of the series, right? The Sick of Waitings. And I, I feel like that song kind of takes, like, I, I, you have, like, very interesting buckets you can sort of put songs into and not to oversimplify your artistry, but it was like, it was very, like you said, almost along with the lines of the, this is supposed to be fun. It has the feel of, uh, I don't know, like somewhere between like the nonprofits record and like uh, like the song like Drop Bass. Like it just has this like uh, right. y- you can ride to it, right? Which, as you know, you've done a lot of uh, the very artistic, amazing music as well, and it's 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 cool to hear you in that lane again for me. Oh, I, I love hearing that. That I mean, the the whole song, the concept came about because uh, B and I were driving through the UK last year. And we we were talk we were talking about sand dunes and that's where people would in high school you know they would escape to the sand dunes to drink beer and be away from parents and do mm-hmm. you know stuff that they'd get in trouble for otherwise so and then it was funny to realize other people had sand dunes it was a, like for some reason in my head sand dunes was very particular to my own town. And then I realized a lot of other people had sand dunes that they would also do the same type of stuff at. Um, and the whole reason that whole uh, concept came about is because I think we were listening to a Nas song on Illmatic. I think it was Represent. Mm-hmm. But at the end, the guy goes, "Come to Queens, motherfucker! Come to Queens, bitch!" <laughs> but I was yeah. But I was like, I was like, "Come to the sand dunes, motherfucker! If you really want to get down." <laughs> I mean, and then like something about B talked about a stick with a nail in it. Yeah, like he just mentioned a stick with a nail in it, and I couldn't stop laughing for like two hours because it was like I remember those those moments where we would have these like homemade weapons that you could take a town over with them you know so the the whole song concept came from that one conversation he put together this beat um uh with uh, the help of a few others but it was like he wrote his verse just based on on 
the conversation we had in the car i heard it and i was like yeah i got something for this and like we just went in that was like one of the quickest songs i think we were able to knock out lyric wise where he had something real quick i could come with something real quick and we banged it out but i yeah i actually like got my uh my fiance's on that chorus so i got got to sneak her in on oh that's what's up wow (laughs) yeah at the sand dunes you know yep yep you know it so when you say I've got something for this, did you already have something written or you're like, yeah, this is the vibe? I, can I, I just had memories. I, you know, like okay. my, actually my sand dunes, cause I wasn't, I wasn't the type of kid in, in school who would dip off with other kids. I, I really was more of, I had my woods in the back of my house. So a lot of my, my verse on that song is about the woods, but the sand dunes represents areas that kids would always retreat to, to get away from adults in order to, you know, yep do their do their dumb shit <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to the dunes to do dumb shit yeah and that's that's what the whole tour concept like the name of the tour came from is come to the sand dunes it's just like let's get wild because it's just gonna be uh you're gonna have to see it did you see Vakaradu at all i don't know if you checked out any of the ch- uh, church of love and ruin stuff i have not i have not no Okay, well, he's a bounce artist from New Orleans, and okay. he has a backup dancer, and it's just like a really insane stage presentation. And I hope by the time we get on stage, we don't just totally fall flat after that kind of performance. So I'm gonna have to, I might have to break out some more dance moves again. But um, so you have an so opener you, with a backup dancer. The the opener is Vakaradu, who has a backup dancer. Oh shit! And they both they both get busy. It's really it's really something to see. It's awesome. How did you cross paths with them? B came across him. Um, he had he put together this thing called the Church of Love and Ruin, which was just uh, you know there was. Uh, they toured with B before, right? Yeah, it was like okay. a variety show of all different types of acts, and he had uh, he came across Vaca somehow. He may have been familiar with his music. Hit. I mean, he's been sampled by Drake and shit like that. Like this dude is unknown but very popular in a weird way with a certain group of people. Um, by so, certain group of people, do you mean artists, or does he have a, a broader appeal? An appeal in um um a subgenre of dance uh like bounce it's bounce music it's bounce. but there's sissy bounce you know there's like um i'm really not the person to talk about this because okay. i don't know much about it <laughs> well, we'll all i that. know all i know is that he and i are the same age we went to the same like his first concert was also my first concert which is what and we split uh it was the run dmc public enemy oh hell yeah um epmd tour back in 1988 or 87 yes. and so we had that 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 um background but he splintered off one whole other way and i went another way wow uh and it's really fun to be able to reconnect with him knowing everything yeah, that, that he's done Seattle. and the path that he's pursued and what appealed to him also appealed to me back then and then we just went separate paths and can totally like reconnect in a very genuine way about what it is that inspired us to do what we do Very cool. Well, I feel like I've asked about a billion questions, Chuck. I figured maybe you had a couple chamber. Uh, I mean, I 
I hate to just. I'm going to make the second nonprofit <laughs> reference in the first like 15 minutes. <laughs> you're not. Does, 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 initially does that, apologize for does that. that to be honest, you listen, listen. You're not. You're, you're not the first person to make a nonprofit um, analogy. I got it here. Okay. I, I pulled it out last weekend when I knew that uh, the interview was happening. So, um, Cure. Where in your right? That's the name of the song, right? The last track. Yeah, the on, Cure. Uh, yep. Yeah, the Cure. Where like in your sort of personal, yeah, personal favorites is that? Is that a is that a song that you go back to often in your own catalog as like a milestone track, or is that just like oh, it's just like any other song I wrote? No, yeah, I would say it's a milestone track. And back then, when I was making albums, I would always try to make the last song be a hint toward what I was going to do with the next record. Um, whether that ended up happening or not, I don't know. But the cure was not totally in line with the other type of material that was on the nonprofits album. It it hit more of a uh, more of a poetic um, essence. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say because the nonprofits album is fun and upbeat and punchy, but the cure is is I just kind of go off on what I think is quintessentially sage francis if i was really to like say what my style was back then um and it's a style of writing that i feel like i tap into sometimes and i know when i'm in it and it's it doesn't always have a place so i i just kind of let it sit for a while and i try to find a home for it and um and I don't know that the only other stuff someone recently said they thought the life record was a continuation of that song, which I, I don't totally agree with. Although there is writing styles that I, I can very much relate to how the lyrics to the cure came about. Um, Cause the, the other thing is the life record is the least non, I mean the least hip hop sounding record that I've done is it's not, boom bap it's not sample based it's all live instruments so it's like obviously there's a big disconnect between that and the nonprofits record but the subject matter and um the essence of the writing on that album i do feel there are a lot of parallels it's i could see also on the surface just making the connection because the lyric right that life is just a lie with yeah. definite and death is definite is in the song so that right. it, when an album drops you know a couple of years later and it had the in the title that way you know, yeah so i don't know if i it was like i incepted this person and then he told me that but it was the first time i thought of it myself where i was like you know what yeah i i kind of see that but um yeah the cure is is just very artsy fartsy it was the it was the first time for me where like you know collecting records and there would be albums like Resurrection or something where they would jam all 14 songs on onto like one 12 inch and then you would get the <laughs> single and it had three songs and you realize like oh the the wider that the space of the grooves is like the way better it plays yeah. and like the whole album <laughs> hey. condensed on to three sides right and then that yeah. The Cure is its own side like it's yeah. like the, this shit has wide grooves like please I, please don't tell don't tell people the science of vinyl because like i don't want to have to like keep making double vinyls i was surprised you know so i just got the uh the live long enough to learn you know seven inch that dropped 
the dude yeah. anyway. Yeah. And like reading the and by the way, thank you for the goodies that came with the record. I got no doubt. prolific single. I got uh but yeah, see like, I I got prolific a and reanimator that, in the background. Yeah. yeah. I got a poster that you signed, so was a, a lot of good stuff came with that. Because I did ask C's to just mail me the record, and he was like, no, yo, you got to buy that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we only made 30, and I put 20 away for later on in eBay sales. Okay. Well, <laughs> so I got one of the 10 then. <laughs> I'll buy them. I'll buy them. But I was like fun. surprised when I was reading it that like this is not vinyl, by the way. I was like, oh, shit, okay. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's made out of... Um, ashes of our dead homies <laughs> well it is I, it's lathe cut right is it like plexiglass yeah. like if i like i could go like steal a sheet of plexiglass at a hockey rink and make another like 20 of these yeah uh, the dudes from jiving scientists this is a group from um arizona who's on sf digi as well shout out we, to Soundsmith. yeah we're waiting we're waiting for their album but they they have um a machine that like puts these things together and they have a pretty quick turnaround like vinyl can take up to three or four months for you to even get it back so um sometimes it just doesn't make sense to do, to do that so if we're doing a short run if we're not doing a thousand of something it really makes sense just to do the lathe cuts and yeah i remember the source magazine do you, uh, they used to do um you if they'd have like a one of the pages is a thing you could put on your your record player and play. Mm. What? Like yeah, flexi like pagey yeah, flex yeah. <laughs> plastic thing that you could play. I mean, obviously didn't sound good, right. but that's kind of the science I think behind what they're doing. But it sounds good with the lathe cuts, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, dude, I've I've been very happy with it. For for the people listening who I haven't already said this a thousand billion gazillion <laughs> times to, I have a new album, it's called Live Long Enough to Learn. At what point like at what point do you stop saying happy new year? And at what point can you stop saying your new album is new? Live long enough to learn. <laughs> Strange famous records. Um two I think at this point, two years is an album is new. Wow. Okay. That's pretty good. But when you're approaching March, it's no longer New Year, so stop with that shit. Okay. <laughs> and shout out to uh, Steve Bills, our, our rather silent co-host. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. For doing the, I had a rough um, night of parenting. I was telling Chuck about it earlier. I know. I know. You, you're just hanging. But uh, shout out on, on doing the beat on Do It Anyway, which yeah, is yeah. single on the Say, your boy, your boy Steve over there, Yeah. parenting vet. Yeah, he's been, he's been had two little yeah. kids. Well, you're gonna have to give me some tips. Um, if you can see my eyes, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you could hold a, like two weeks worth of luggage in these bags. You got those teenage daughters' <laughs> eyes, man. man. I got I swung got on tonight by a three year old, so you got what? I got swung on by a three year old tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what was the verbal accompaniment to the swing? I like, pulled bring him it out, on, Dad. Just pulled him out of the tub. He didn't want to get out of the tub. <laughs> so when he got yanked out, he hit you with a cross. I mean, it was more like a, it's kind of a, like a UFC uh, palmed, you know, right to the chin, open handed. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. As long as they're not ripping out your throat, McGruber style. Yeah, that's right. fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I I feel like the first time a kid swings on you, like there's a moment where they have that look in their eye. That, or like when they say no for the first time. Like, yeah. Can I really do this? Yeah. That you kind of got to nip it in the he, bud. I was trying to nip it in the bud, but I, you know, I don't, I don't want to beat my children. <laughs> right. But like I like, want to look at them like I'm going to yeah. beat them, but I'm never going to beat my children. Right. You know. So. Respect. Yeah. Respect. <laughs> yeah. You're you're a hero. <laughs> my dad. But, my dad. 
gave me that look many times. Yeah. Never did it, but he did like swiftly kick me in the ass once. <laughs> For, about what? I don't know. I remember just getting kicked in the ass. I was like, that was a real ass ass kicking right there. <laughs> you probably deserved it. Yeah, as yeah a parent, totally. Like, like the kids probably deserved it. Well, so it's interesting. So you're saying your dad never really brought it to you like that, and then just one time he kicked you in the ass. Was he just like playing around? No, no. We were wow. got in a heated debate, and like, I think I probably was like walking away from him, and he like threw his foot at my ass. And Yo, kicked it. that fuck with my head more than anything. I'd be like, he he did it once after never doing it. When's it coming again? <laughs> then it never comes. No, I'm gonna give you guys something real right now. Okay, actually, yeah. all right. Um, all right. Let's beef this up with some realness. One of the, it wasn't. He's not my. He's not my biological father, but he raised me. He was my dad, right? And um, we did get into a physical altercation as when I was an adult. And it was the one moment where I realized I had to move out the, out of the house. And um, we ended up like holding each other's throats against a wall. Jesus. Yeah. And I loved, I loved this dude to death. I really did. I, I loved him, but I also knew like he didn't understand what I was doing and at what did, point in your career was this this was this was late 90s so it was right before i moved to brooklyn um for the uh it was probably 98 i would say it was 98 i was but in other words not at a point where like the writing was on the wall that shit was going to work out for you like, oh yeah absolutely written? not right. no they they never and in fact i hid i hid my career from my parents even after personal journals came out wow i mean really yeah, you were able to do that back then. So my first big album, um, I knew they would eventually find it, but they didn't really know what I was doing. I um, uh, were you working? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was while well, I was serving ice cream at Ben and Jerry's after okay. college. And what uh, what neighborhood in Brooklyn were you living in? I was living outside of Park Slope, but it was it was okay. um, kind of I was sleeping on my friend's floor his name is mig he created uh, a record label called emerge and that's what the nonprofits 12 inches came out on and i knew of him from the 90.3 wriu radio show that i would always go on and freestyle at and then that's how i got my own radio show and he hasn't talked to me in ages like that cat straight up ghosted me and i feel like it's because he thought he should have been a bigger part of my career um after the nonprofit stuff, but like things were moving so fast. And this was Bounce, and what was the other twelve inch? Uh, all word, no play with That's Whoremonger right. sing along. Yep. There you yeah. Go. So that was that was in ninety nine and two thousand, and um, there was my my there's there's no way my because my, my dad worked several jobs. He was a newspaper guy. Like I helped with newspapers and stuff. And he was always looking for other ways to make more money. He was very susceptible to multi-level marketing schemes mm, and shit mm. like that. And um, I just and I just did not have a work ethic at all. And I did not want to like be part of what I saw him do my whole life. So he would see what I'm doing and be like, "You're just." being lazy you don't know how to work blah blah blah. but he like you know he was he, he pretty much thought sports was going to be my escape into 
getting out of work. Like he pushed football on me really hard. He pushed hockey on me really hard. He pushed baseball and karate on me really hard. And I'm thankful that he did. He was very supportive, but outside of all of that, my secret life was writing raps and rapping and sneaking out of the house and doing battles. And I think the competitive side of me really came through and was fostered in those environments that he put me in as a young kid that I eventually knew how to deal with um, the pressures of competition. So this comes full circle right now because before we were talking about how people can deal with the stress and anxiety of battling, but I already knew, I kind of was already predisposed to being able to deal with those kind of stresses and pressures and deal within a, um, a structured environment where I knew what the rules were and I knew how to bend them a little bit. I was like the Bell Belichick of, of motherfucking battle rap. You know? <laughs> I mean, specifically that, like just to go on, you know, to actualize what, what I think you're saying is that there would be people. And it, of course, at this time, everyone was freestyling and maybe they would say a line that didn't land well. And then it always went one or two directions. Like at that point, they would get completely derailed. Yeah. And either like go into a written that was off rhythm or just right. like start spitting whack shit. Yeah. I feel like anytime you said something that maybe didn't come out slick, you would like 180 it on the other person. Like it was, and it's just to the point that you never lost composure. Like you didn't, the, the you know, the, the eight counts are coming so quick that like if you lose your composure for a second, you're off. And I think you were always good at being like, yeah, I said that. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. <and> then, wow. <laughs> I, will, I will admit there are times where I feel like I really fell super flat and I didn't know how to recover. Um, but I'm when I look back on some of those battles, I'm surprised how easy it was for me to just kind of switch gears and recover and take over a different type of energy. Um that in itself was the game and not many people could play that game idea was incredible at playing that game um someone i i don't want to name names there definitely were people where if their freestyles were falling flat they would fall into written material that just was obviously preconceived that didn't fit the moment because if you couldn't work with a moment in a freestyle battle back then I think the crowd could easily notice it because they were so familiar with how people improv uh, Jin I will say Jin Jin I think Jin was a big perpetrator of kind of just shoehorning pre-written lines that didn't totally match what was going on within a battle and um, I haven't heard about him for a while I don't know I know he did the movies and stuff and he had he had other stuff going he's probably on, like but... an international superstar I have no idea but <laughs> yeah. no I'm just serious like, no, he was, he, wasn't he in like Fast and Furious and shit like yeah. that but he like so he random was, that guy was on uh, rough he was in like the rough Riders. yeah yeah <laughs> like, the only reason the only reason i feel comfortable Frank. saying his name is because i know he's reached some great success yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know i don't want to talk about this bullshit he ain't listening <laughs> to chrome bills i'll tell you that much well when that, he finds out when he when his fans when his large fan base finds out right. i just called him out right like, coming up on episode 152 of chrome bills yo jin Jin versus you. KOTD, son, what up? The I'm not going to mention that duration. <laughs> not even once. How are you going to deal with that? <laughs> the battle will be DJed by that college radio host. Was you? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's funny because, all right, so I, I don't, 
I think I told this story the last time you were on, the first time we actually met in person with the blue pen. Does yeah. the story sound familiar? Yes. Did I tell it, Chuck and Steve? Do you remember? Keep going, and I'll, I'll I tell can't you. remember. Keep going. The first time I met Sage was at Scribble Jam. We had talked on the phone when I was in college, and I interviewed him. And then uh, he was at a merch table at Scribble Jam, and I walked up, and I was like, "Yo, like you know, I'm Cole, blah blah blah." And he's just eyeballing me the whole time. I'm like, "What the fuck?" And he goes, "Are you a painter?" It's like, nah, why? He's like, you have blue paint all over you. And I looked down, like, a ballpoint pen had exploded on my pants. It was ridiculous. <laughs> also, I was painting uh, dorm rooms that year at the University of Rhode Island. So okay. maybe I was, I, was, I was looking for camaraderie. You're like, you're a painter? Me too. Right, right, right. Yeah. right, right. What's your favorite stroke? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so it's interesting. We do go back quite a ways. One of the things I do want to talk about, bringing it just a little bit more recent... Volume one, that's the first. Uh, it's not really an album, right? It was more of a mixtape that you got. Oh wait, wait, wait! Uh, Epic Beer Men season one. Season, season one. one. I'm season sorry. One. I think it says volume one on Spotify. I think it's if so, it's just one more of the fuck ups we've made. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we were talking about sort of the difference in, and this is something that the audience listening to this now will have already heard. You're not as cool as us, so you haven't had the chance to hear the new album. But let's talk about season one i thought dumbass kids like I, that was just i think i saw you guys or no i heard it before i saw you guys perform it when the beat came on live that song is ridiculous how do you choose to have that on the first thing and not the official album i know honestly it was supposed to be on the album um oh. but last year not even last year a little bit before 2018 we were already booking our national tour and we knew that we couldn't get the album done in time. And I said, we need bangers that people are going to like hear at the show. So we're going to have to put these things on the EP um, and come up with other ideas for the album. So Dumbass Kids, Shotgun Golf, um, and a couple other, like a couple of the, the tracks that appear on season one should have been on the album initially. But um, yeah, we um, we were slow rolling. We, it was B was working on a lot of the beats on the album. He did the beat for Dumbass Kids actually, Dope. and um, yeah, that, I mean that beat is just it fucking bangs so hard. You know, it's like those kind of beats. I know that it killed him to just put it on the EP and not have it on the official album. And like when I say to him, like no we gotta do this and i like deep down i know like a fire is burning where he's eventually gonna like <laughs> fucking choke me out in front of my whole family but um that's just you belichicking the man you know how to motivate him. yeah totally but i my i my reasoning was at the end of the day the way people consume music right now is it's all like you just said it's on spotify like everyone's checking the streaming services that's yeah. how everyone's going to hear this stuff anyways so it's part of the overall collective of what epic beard ben is yeah whoopee do season one is a free download but who the hell isn't just streaming it anyway you know like i'm not really tripping about where certain songs appear because that's a single like that's not it's not part of like an overall album concept that is just a standalone single um so with that change in medium and how it's affected to the point where i mean you i bet the girls that your teenage daughters steve's kids my kids chuck when they have kids they're not going to fucking listen to cds like they're going to be streaming everything right. so what's the difference i i kind of dislike it just in terms of like 
I'll go back like oh like the third Alcoholics album like I love the 13 song you know yeah. what I mean it's like something <laughs> yeah. I never would have heard more than once if I was still streaming things right right and I feel like so what's the point of records now in terms of like here's 12 songs that are on one album I don't think people are going to listen to music like that anymore it's like a fucking fishbowl of songs on, yeah, I don't know either. I, I mean, it's been like that for a few years. However, I do come from the school of thought that an album is a, um, I guess it, it marks a moment in time for an artist's career where it, it, you know, all the things that are happening and all the people you're working with can all be consolidated. It's a yearbook, right? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like a yearbook of an artist an audio yearbook, but that honestly is not how people are consuming music. It's not how they're experiencing music. So I can loosen the reins a little bit and not be so caught up in the fact that this banger that should be on an album, a, what would be considered a classic, whoopie do if it comes out as a single, whoopie do if it comes out as an EP thing, whoopie do if it's just like a, a video on YouTube. It's just as long as people can access it that's what we're on about as that's an epic beard men thing because it's a new enterprise like epic beard men is a new thing it's not a sage francis thing it's not a b dolan thing the the sage francis thing is over 20 years deep now so i have a lot to consider as to how people um experience my music and how they consume it because i've gone through very different eras in my music and it doesn't all mesh perfectly together like you can't just listen to something of mine out of context from 1999 on you know or and then grab something from 2013 and then you're like this shit ain't fitting together it's not the same person it's not the same life it's not the same experience so that so that to me i do kind of wonder how to make sense of that but for epic beard men it is the same short time frame I think it all fits together and I understand how people are consuming music. So let's not trip about it too much. Let's just make sure the, the, the songs are out there that they can appreciate, understand and feel, and then we can perform it for them. And hopefully they can scream the chorus back at us when we do it live. Right. That's what the fuck I'm on about. <laughs> right. How do you feel like that medium has changed touring? Um, I don't know. I really don't. I it's it's. I'm not sure if it's helped or hurt. I I don't know. It's tough to say. Honestly, I I have no idea. Well, so you uh you got U and B did a Epic Beardman tour, and then which dates are you double dipping on this time around? And for uh, probably most importantly for any of our fans, where can they find the dates for the tour? Uh, for everything related to us, always strangefamous.com. Um, epicbeardman.com is its own website. I'm not sure how updated it always is, but it will have the tour dates there. Um, those are the two main sites I would push about that. But uh, as far as double dipping is concerned, we're like, <laughs> can I say what we're not dipping back into? Sure. Okay, we're not dipping back into Florida. We're oh. not dipping back into Atlanta. We're not <laughs> dipping back into Texas. We're not dipping back into... Um, um, I guess those are the big ones, because those are the ones where I hear people like, 
why aren't you playing here? And it's like, oh no, Virginia, fuck Virginia. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, no, but, sorry, sorry, but, sorry. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I have no allegiance to it. But what, why, what happened in Virginia? No, it just was like some of these shows that we did last year were just so poorly attended. And yeah. it brought me back to what you I, get for having me open. <laughs> did, wait, did you play the Virginia no, show? I, no. I played the Baltimore show and it was great. And yeah, then Baltimore you guys were going to Richmond the next night. No, Baltimore also was. Um, we're not playing Baltimore again. Yeah, it was okay. I, yeah. you know, it's funny, man. Like, but I've I also always... know it's oh, it's a new enterprise. It's just Francis name or B Dolan name. I was like, Epic Beard Men. How many people are really going to be familiar with this? Let's play small spots and see if see if uh, people are familiar enough to come out, and then we can decide how we're going to do the full national tour when the album drops. And that it really was a litmus test. Last year was a litmus test. And um, that's how we kind of decided where to go. Not totally because we'd never, we didn't play a lot of the Midwest last year. So this year we kind of substituted the South for the Midwest while doing a full U.S. run. I mean, that completely makes sense. I'll tell you this much. April 5th. Mercury Lounge, New, New York. York. City. Oh, oh, you've actually been to Mercury Lounge. I have. That's where you saw Van and I play. That's right. Uh, I'll be there. I'll definitely be there for that. That's a, that's. You've been to that venue before, Sage? I don't think I have. I know Beat Olin played there before. I've never. I don't think I've ever played Mercury Lounge. No. That's a good spot. That's one of those. I would compare it to like the Auto Bar in Baltimore. Like it's like just the right size. Wait, where, when like, Auto Bar was a closet space, or or the uh, more like the second one where it had the little like <laughs> mezzanine level. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I played I Auto like Bar. I saw you play there a couple times. Did you see when Auto Bar was just kind of like a very small living room with a staircase that people would stand on the staircase? So you like were that there. Is, that predates me. Yeah, you were there with uh, with a bunch of the Anaconda people. No, I remember, I remember, yeah, I remember seeing you there with Soul, and I know uh, right, 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 was right. there. Was that the I know, I remember, I'm Keystone thinking of the show right? with uh, with Edan at the Auto. Oh, Park. that was yeah. yeah, that was 2004. Okay. Oh. oh no, 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 no. That was 2002. That was 2002. Yeah, yeah. No, how do you but, how do you remember that? Uh, because. Um, that was the personal journeys tour. So okay. that was uh, gotcha. when personal journals drop. Okay. Yeah, my life is my life is really segmented into the tours that I did back then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you That's my it? mnemonic. My mnemonic device is just when did I tour then? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do you enjoy it? I know it's a lot. Do I enjoy touring? Yeah. <laughs> um I hated it. I truly hated it for a long time. And then when I took a break from it, I started to miss it. And then when I went back out, I realized the parts I hated, but I also realized the parts I missed. And it's, it's a, I would, I would, if, 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 if touring was on Facebook, I would mark our relationship as complicated, but it's a good <laughs> one overall. I, it's, it's complicated. It's, it's mixed with love and hate. There's stuff that you never experience outside of touring. And I know that's the stuff people look upon and are kind of like jealous of. They're like, oh, man, you're so lucky. You get to do this and that. But they never understand the worst parts that take away from the enjoyment of the good parts. So for the past five years or so, 
I feel like I've done my very best to minimize the worst parts, enjoy the good parts as much as possible. And that takes actually takes away from the profit of a tour, but um, at a certain point, your life becomes more about time being more valuable than money sort of thing, you know. But now I'm in a totally different situation where I'm preparing for to just put up with the worst parts of touring so I can make as much money as possible. Now, is that because you feel more pressure to make money just, just because or because you're getting married? And Yeah, no, it's because um, it's because I am kind of hogtied as to what I can talk about about this, but um, lo- lawyer fees are pretty expensive. Okay. Yeah. Which she's she suing you for a sample or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just well, saying, uh, I got two. Works out for sure. No, nah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Here's, the, here's, the, here's the reality of it. I live most of my life living all by myself in a house, all by myself. I suddenly am living in another house with three people, and I want to make sure that they have the best life possible. And um, that comes with many expenses that I can take care of and I will. And I'm not nearly going bankrupt, but I don't, I, I want, if, if I continued the way I'm going on for the next 10 years, maybe I would. So I'm, I'm just doing my best and make sure I can be an artist and they can be happy people and we can live a good life. I mean, it's lofty goals, man. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a great thing. Certainly commendable. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. That's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I do think it's a it's an interesting change because it gives you a sense of direction that if you know, if you haven't had it up to that point, I'd be interested to see how it's gonna affect your writing. And just, you know, everything your whole approach, but specifically your writing. Yeah, I've been right people have mentioned that a few times. My writing I feel like is pretty much on par with the rest of the stuff I've done. There's no drastic change in direction, but um, what I have found is I have to be, I have to be a lot more careful of what um, particulars I mentioned. So there are trap doors. There's, uh, uh, I would say it's encrypted writing. I would say that it's important to just not be as, totally bald face truthy as I was on personal journals. Mm. Um, I am living a different life now. I understand the repercussions of what it is when you talk so freely, but I also, and I also see the artistic merit in masking certain things, but still telling the truth. There's, there's several levels to how you're able to tell a story without compromising people in your life well plus you know you've already done the other way I, yeah. I think you know I think it's an interesting well I, as much writing as you've done I feel like you've you've pretty much covered being open and being more password lock you know approach to it <laughs> right, you know, right. and it's just a matter of what you what you get into more I kind of feel like when I listened to the epic beard man stuff and you talked about you know 
you and B would start going in the direction and you'd get a song like like Circle the Wagons on the upcoming album. And I feel like maybe at that point you're like, let's rein it in and let's have some fucking fun a little bit. Let's like let's do crumbs, you know? Right, right. Oh, cr- that's funny. Because Cir- Circle the Wagons, that is a heavy-ass concept Right. that um, I came up with the song title, but nothing else. And then, then B ran with it. And I was like, damn, I see what you're doing with this. Because there was a lot of... The whole Me Too movement was happening, but a lot of people in hip hop were kind of cert- like um, getting a pass. Not like pe- the media really was not focusing on hip hop, but obviously there's a lot of shit in hip hop that needs to be addressed. Let's talk Africa Bambada. You know, let's yeah. talk, there's a lot of shit going on. Right. And um, so we went into that, and hopefully, the it can spark some conversations or even just add on to the conversation that's been going on. I know Jay smooth has been on about it. I, he's one of the only people um, out there who I think has been talking about it, but, um, and then crumbs in every bag again, like we, that's just one of those balanced things where you're like, all right, let's just kind of freak the flow a little bit, have some fun. And, I wrote that verse in one night. We were in Amsterdam that night. I wrote that verse. I came back. I was like, "Yo!" <laughs> like I came up to be in the in the hotel because we were touring at the time, and I went out on the street. I just was like in a zone. Like I have very seldom manic episodes. Like I'm mostly depressive, and then like twice a year, I have this manic episode where I'm like. I'm active. I can do this. Let's go. <laughs> How long does it last? <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, it lasts about eight hours, I think. But I, I a lot done in with, eight hours. I did. I did. I came up. I had a, what I have, like a fucking 40 bar verse. I was like, yo, I'm going to ride this beat straight to Beat Street. Let's go. <laughs> that's like literally, that's what I said. That's why we put it in the beginning of that song. But um, that, I want to, if I can just have those kind of, like fun songs for a full album at some point i would be so happy but i just Who don't see it beat? in my future um uh robert shaw who oh no not robert uh romero shaw for uh Derek pierre he he did the the beat for bridal on person on um, a healthy distrust mm. okay I don't. I don't know what name he's going by anymore because he's kind of uh, like he disappears. He's Oddly kind enough, of the a, underground kid. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind of a hobo. Like <laughs> he jumps on trains and just like travels from city to city. But how he sent that, that as a producer. How does he do that as a producer? <laughs> no, well, he sent that to me ages ago, and then B had to recreate it in a studio with musicians that he works with. So. All right. So what was the what? What's the? There's something on the bass line that's. It's almost like a zip. Or something what did he you'd did he, have you'd have to ask him because they they worked they had a like a, a studio don't play yeah. it no, that's okay <laughs> okay that's okay you can play that but yeah no the they recreated the beat um in a new york studio he, he works with a group of musicians there's most of the music on the album is played by those musicians and um I was not there for that because I was busy doing other stuff. And yeah, B was B had his nose in all production for this record, so he is the guy to talk to about that. So maybe at some point you guys can talk to him. But um, yeah, he 
<laughs> it's one of those because I hold on to beats for ages. Like that may have been ten years old, and then we had to recreate it. So, so how did you? What if it's just been sitting around for ten years? How do you come back across it? Are you like, yo, this verse that I'm writing, that that beat from a while ago? Like, do you just have that kind of catalog memory? No, I don't. Um, I I mostly write to just silence and then I go through my files of beats and then I figure out which one it works best to. Wow. So that's, that's how most of my writing happens. Huh. Really? That's why I have a, my file is, um, I still have beats from 15 years ago that are wow. just waiting to be used. And I will write a verse and then I will go through my entire catalog of beats and then, I will I will recite it to all the beats and then feel like oh this feels yeah this feels right this feels right so I always am trying to find a home for that's the wild I don't think I've heard that from from many rappers before yeah yeah I know it's I mean it's it's probably easier to get a beat and write to it yeah. and I can do that I still do do that yeah. from time to time but mostly if I'm walking around and I'm just living my life and like lyrics start popping into my head I'm not looking for a beat i'm just writing the lyrics down so i right. that's how i catalog most of my lyrics and there's songs of mine that um are just um frankensteined uh, lyrics from all different years like um slow down gandhi is from healthy distrust that's one of my more popular songs and that song is strictly Frankenstein lyrics from all different eras, different years that like fit a certain theme. So there are themes. I feel like themes is are what ties lyrics together for me a, a lot of the time. And do you go back in and sort of like shave off, you know, the parts that are hanging out, or yeah. are you comfortable? With, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Shave. I do shave. I do a lot of shaving. I do a lot of editing. <laughs> uh, yeah. The song. In fact, the song that we did together. Uh, the beginning of the end on my new album live long enough to learn available on strange <laughs> that's Friends. right <laughs> yeah th i mean that's that's something where i went i dipped into several right. lyrics and i'm like what fits this theme how can i fit them together i will shave um the beginning or end of a rhyme off to fit another rhyme so it's like the puzzle of it if i can't fit it together i won't force it but if it does fit together then i'm like this was meant to be good well you also <laughs> put the you you didn't like the beat that I had sent you, so you put me in touch with uh, Cool Poindexter, or you played a couple beats of his, and we decided right. to go with that. Right. I don't I don't remember the first beat you sent me, but well, it, but if it, I didn't like, I don't like most beats to tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, you're gonna hear it again because it'll be on my next stream. <laughs> <this album>. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. It it's just may not have been for me. Like some beats are not for my voice. That's all I know. Well, I remember uh, a long time ago talking to you and you said that you prefer, well, all the beats that you have set aside, do you have stems for them? No. That's why we had to recreate this fucking beat. So for, the mix uh, or the, the sequence that they gave you, because that was the thing that stood out to me most. And I always thought it was so effective for how you freestyled was if you were, you're like, I don't want a 90 second loop. I want somebody to send me like a three and a half minute beat with all right. the change ups. And it doesn't have that's to be. That's what like, I prefer. Right. Right. So if you're you're getting that, and then that's crazy. I just assumed mm. you had the stems, and I was like, "Yo, like my man has so much digital storage somewhere." Right. Nah, I mean, I'm I'm very comfortable and happy with people giving me a fully fleshed out beat with all the breaks and turns and peaks and valleys, and I write to it like that. That's how I. 
some of those like the one best that always stood out for me was Buzzkill on Buzzkill. It's like wait, lift on many levels, and you could right. tell the beat. I don't think it wasn't like you were like, yo, drop the drum here. Like you had written no, to that part of it. Th- for that particular song, reanimate because reanimator reanimator did that beat. He he after I did the verse, he did those changes. Shit. So yeah, <laughs> you pick you pick the one calling song. you out. <laughs> however, however, what you're talking about. I already had that verse on a song I did with Alias. It was the second verse to a song called Trite, which appeared on one of my Sick of Waiting mixtapes. What? Mixtapes. But I cut that second verse off. Uh. And it ended up getting used on Buzzkill, and it was the same kind of breaks where... So that's like a 12-year-old beat, a 12-year-old verse? Yeah. yeah. What? Holy shit. That's crazy. So I'm going to use that to segue into something. Like, how in tune are you that's still on the cutting room floor from all the releases to date like are you sitting there kind of like at a at a certain point in time on a road trip or just on a reflective weekend being like i've got you know seven things that didn't make the cut of personal journals like maybe a personal journalist like maybe i need to uh re-envision this like this wasn't trash it just didn't make the cut of that album or are you something that you start a new record and you're like all right I'm, i'm not thinking about something i did in 2005 right now no, I, I'm still thinking about things I did in 2005. Um, but a lot of the things that hit the cutting room floor would almost always make their way onto the sick of mixtapes. Mm. So um, unless I knew that there was a higher purpose for a certain concept or song, but I don't typically put my voice on record unless I know it's going to appear on something. It will simply exist as a text file accompanied by an MP3 file with the beat. You know, it's not something like if I recorded something back then, it almost always like 95% of the time would appear on a mixtape. That's what the mixtapes were for. It was like, Hey, look at this. That was done, but never was officially released. Maybe people out there would appreciate it. And they did. And I, I did too. Cause I don't care about the quality. Like I don't particularly care about sound quality. I care about the feel and the meaning behind music. Mm. And I walk that line as a person who runs a record label because I know you can't run a fucking business that way. But um, it just feels right. Well, we lost. Yeah. No. Honestly. Honestly. Like that's why when sometimes people make a demo and they can never make a better version of the demo because the spirit is in the demo and then you're trying to recreate the spirit in a studio polished version of that song and it just doesn't exist. Um it's almost like you're covering your own song at a certain point. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm cool with having a lot of lo-fi material out there where people, a lot of, I feel like a lot of casual listeners would check it out and be like, what is this trash? It sounds like shit. But <laughs> the people, the people who can hear the spirit in the song, those are the people I care about. Those are the people I want on our side. So, it's good to have that out there. And I'm, I think this is the 20 year anniversary of the first mixtape I released. So I wanted to do a full, uh, maybe do like a full box set of the sick of stuff. Cause I know a lot of it is not accessible by people. Um, 
it's not all on streaming services. It's not on iTunes. Some of it is, but most of it is not. I just, I still don't know really how to put it all together, but at some point it'll happen that way. And there are still tracks from the nineties, um, that I have never released that I think are worth hearing. I just didn't know where to put them. And that would be a good place to put something. Also the, uh, like I just mentioned, the trite song where the second verse had the verse from Buzzkill on it originally, where I cut it off. If I released original versions of songs, like Cr- uh, Crumble on A Healthy Distrust also had a second verse that I've been hoping to release, but it does sometimes it doesn't make sense outside of that song. So mm-hmm. I... But then I don't own the I don't own the rights to that fucking song now because it was released on Epitaph Records because I worked with several record labels, so that's why I hang on to certain verses. I'm like, okay, maybe I should just find a different home for it where I can own it. So, but they, to be honest, Epitaph Records has been very cool about how I go about things. They know that I did a bulk of the work on our releases together and that um yeah we'll see what happens well let's not you know i don't know if we discussed this a whole lot the last time you were on just how significant it was when you uh signed with epitaph because at that point they were really primarily a punk label right yes i mean it's it's totally punk it was totally punk label but they saw what we were doing in the indie rap scene and they saw the parallels it was kind of like the second wave of punk rock, maybe even the third wave um, of Cali punk rock. Um, but they saw a lot of parallels and they saw that there was a fan base. They saw that we didn't have um, the channels to access all the people who were willing to buy the music. So they jumped on it. And um, I mean, on, on one hand, oh my god capitalism but on the second hand oh my god cool exposure so i was right. yeah i was kind of stuck in the middle of that and i was more than happy at the end of the day to allow them to bolster and kind of raise my profile and familiarity with with like the music industry and the entertainment industry because they knew that i had a fan base who was hungry to buy more material yet we did not have at that time did not have the um, facilities or the resources to make that happen and Andy Calkin at Epitaph was a big fan of what I was doing uh, on an underground level and he worked it out but that that was mainly for the, the A Healthy Distrust album in 2005 after that things got really weird were you things, the only hip hop act kind of on fell apart. I was the first, but they signed and they licensed a bunch of stuff. They okay. initially they initially um, licensed the um, Atmosphere records, okay. uh, Sevens Travels, uh, the Idea and Abilities record. What was that one? What was the first I- ENA record that they ENA did? Well, ENA Day or Born Again? No, what was the uh, no Born not Born Again? Yeah, just, I think it was just that. ENA. I thought it was just ENA. Okay, so that that was something that they licensed. So Rhymesayers was having their stuff licensed through Epitaph, but this is I actually 2011 had or something stuff. like that. 2000. Uh, no, this was 2004, 2005. Yeah, I'm way See, off. it's funny because there was like in the 
they did Blacklicious. They did. Um, okay. Th- there was actually a lot of. Uh, they did Bus Driver. They did oh. um, uh, The Coup. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So they were they were tapped into what was happening. Definitely what was happening in in the West Coast scene. Yeah. And I remember there was a store. Rock a guy named Rocco ran. I'm trying to remember the name of it. But anyway, there's there's people putting them on to who was like really popping off in the indie hip hop scene because mm-hmm. like the internet was getting huge at the time, and then they were seeing wow these these cats somehow have a huge fucking audience and they do not have any kind of backing. Yeah. So how do we get them into stores? And that's that's how that all happened. And whether that was good or bad, I don't know. But I uh, overall, but I know for me, it was good to raise a profile. What's well, an interesting was, thing because I feel like there was in this, we all grew up in uh, the same county in Maryland, and so <clears throat> by the time we were going to college or like through college, and then after that, we've all been in the DC area for a certain period of time. Chuck's actually up in New York now, but I remember at that point, like the early two thousands there was a certain legitimacy that you guys got by signing the epitaph that like there was punk kids that I knew like they're like atmosphere is the only rap that I like. It's like, all right, you know, they're they're That's good because they're going to open you up to other acts like them. And then you'll start to like people that don't have that aesthetic. But I thought epitaph is sort of like a keyword among those kind of audience members. It was like, yo, this guy's on epitaph. You're like, wait a minute. I like those bands. Let me check this guy out. You know? No, I'll be honest. Like the fact that, I had songs on Punkarama CDs because Punkarama, those compilation CDs they put out for super cheap. Um, they put one of my songs, like I had the first rap song on a Punkarama CD, and I had Punkarama CDs. I was buying those too. What track was it? The, uh, Makeshift Patriot was on oh, nice. uh, one oh, of really? the Punkarama CDs. Nice. Yeah. And to this day, people who are coming to shows are telling me that's how they found my music they were like i hated rap i didn't think it was worth shit i heard that i was like what the hell and then i looked into all of the different types of hip-hop and now i'm a hip-hop fan so it was it was a big like open the gate for a lot of people who just did not have access to to hip-hop that they could relate to and i'm not saying like and I fear, like, I don't want these people to be the ones who only listen to white rappers. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? But I am saying that they realize there is artistic merit in the craft of mm. writing hip hop songs. And um, it is consistent to this day. In 2019, people are still <clears throat> coming to me and saying that that's the first time that they really gave hip-hop a chance and then it opened them up to a whole bunch of different stuff wow it's got to feel good yeah i it fe- i don't i wouldn't say it feels good it just it just is like i'm curious about it still yeah yeah like i don't know why i'm like why because i came from i came from a very small town in a secluded area in rhode island and i was able to access hip-hop that i could identify with but it took like 15 years for these people to like give hip hop a chance just because I appeared on a Punkarama CD. <laughs> Where were you getting introduced <laughs> to hip hop? Like back when you were a kid, what really introduced I, you? Um, there was, there was a, 
tapes floating around our school, but the real underground stuff that I, I was able to access was through the college radio stations in Boston. Um, WERS had a, a show called uh, Rap Explosion every Saturday night from like 12 to 1 a.m. And that exposed me to rock him and just uh, Spoonie D like, like yeah. a lot of old stuff, but current stuff at, during that time. And on, again, Yo MTV raps, people don't give it enough credit, but Yo MTV raps opened up the entire country to hip hop, like really good hip hop. Big time. And yeah, totally. So I was glued to MTV for Saturday nights and I was glued to my radio for the Boston radio college show. Um, and I would just seek out as much hip hop as possible. And it was not, there was not hip hop sections at the record store. I would have to look through every single record. Yeah. And I've said this a billion times, but I always looked for the black guy with gold chains. And I was like, <laughs> this might be an R and B record. This might be a hip hop record. I really hope I don't blow my allowance on some bullshit R and B. That's how the fuck it went down. Do you still keep, you still have those records from back in the days? Yeah, I got all the records out. Yeah, I got them all in my house in Rhode Island. Nice. Um, I, 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 as I said, I moved to Connecticut, but I can't give up my house in Rhode Island, so I rent it out and I keep my studio room with all my records. And like very similar to the one you're sitting in right now. Yeah, it doesn't look as pretty, but it's where my recordings happen. It's where all my records are. And you, you don't let those people have access to that, right? No. Okay. Is yeah. you like a keep out? I only imagine what they think is in there. They're like, so we rent this house, but we're not allowed to go in this one room. <laughs> I don't know what's in no, they, room. no, they know. They just they don't know. care. Okay. They're like, oh, this this guy, yeah, he's a rapper. Yeah, are yeah. they homies or they just you just put like some shit on Craig? No, it's my. It's actually my cousin. Oh, okay, my cousin that's good. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we got to play that safe, man. Yeah, he, she doesn't give. A he's, fuck. he's out there making beats now. <laughs> <laughs> Paige Francis <laughs> sample this one with the gold chain. Right. But I gotta ask. I could definitely gotta ask one more question, and so I don't miss the opportunity. So, in 2019, is the over-the-top fandom more intense or less intense than, say, the beginning of like the sandbox and the message board era? And in particular, I'm remembering a time where you put someone on blast who had been emailing you incessantly about how you had like basically been inside their brain when you wrote the song climb trees do you remember this yes <laughs> i love that you remember this because this is like a decade and a half ago, right and it's, yeah. it's, it's like he's like how did you know that how did you know i was in the car that day like it, it, i mean these were like novels right i mean it was it was crazy and i have to imagine it got to a point where like someone writes you a couple sentences and it's a little corny or it's annoying or whatever you're not like the type of guy to immediately nah. blast them like this got to a level as evidenced by how long the emails were that you're like alright I'm spraying this dude up like does that still go on in today's world is everyone like just ADD and you know if someone has some shit to say it's like a sentence no it's pretty consistent um, back then I would I wouldn't do it again back then I would put people on blast because I felt like that would make them stop and it would make them realize they don't know what the hell they're talking about mm. um, with more life and more experience with those type of people and understanding what psychotic episodes are all about there's I've, I've discovered this there's better routes one of them is just totally ignoring it 
I don't know if that's an awesome route, but it is a better route. Um, the other is to confront them and try to get them as much help as possible, but it is consistent because the wider outreach you have, the more access you have to people who have mental health issues. And that's just common with any any craft, anybody. Like it's not me, it's it's not due to my music, it's, it's just due to my outreach. Mm. And there will always be a percentage of the population who have mental health issues, who go off, they have psychotic episodes, they will always see themselves in any kind of context. They will see themselves in any kind of writing. And I mean, that is a mix of narcissism. That is a mix of um, psychosis. That is a mix of schizophrenia. And I've seen the, the worst of it. I've, I've seen how bad it can go. And I'm very careful of how to approach that. So I, I always, these days, I always deal with it back channel. Sometimes I don't deal with it at all. I just ignore it. And I still don't know the best way to deal with it, but I know the best way is not to put people on blast. I know it's not to expose them to any other people. It, I still don't know. I mean, maybe the best way is to confront them and just say, hey, please get help. And I'll explain the reasons why I see the patterns and what they're doing are very familiar to me. And um, sometimes that works and sometimes I never hear from them again. And th that is like, wow, great. Um, other times you have to block people and just move on. Like there's only so much you can do with anonymous figures in the general public. So, but it, it is true. Like, just mental health is an issue. I understand that. I'm, and I'm not trying to like shame anybody for having that. I just, I want people to understand when they need to look out for the help that they deserve and need. Fascinating response to see that you just immediately went uh, empty <laughs> with it. So I, I do appreciate that because I feel like at the time, it, the internet was a very raw and new place and I feel like shit talking was even in the digital format was a very new art form in and of itself. So like, I can totally see how your reaction after probably dealing with a lot of those people changes over time. Whereas then it was like, I'm going to air this dude out. Right. Yeah. And back then I just thought airing everything out was the way I mm -hmm. felt like there was no need to, to keep anything private. <laughs> you know, I kind of was like all out there with everything, but that certainly is not the way. That's one of the, your more famous lines. Right. Uh, I learn is better than to just keep some things private. Was there a particular experience that that line came from, or just in general, like? No, th that line just kind of popped so many out. Dick pics. No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that line popped out. I was I wrote that line. I wrote the whole song in one night. It just kind of it was That's the crazy. closest thing to a free. Yeah, it just was a. It's not a freestyle, but I wrote it really quickly all the lines followed one another all the things that i was thinking all the things that i had i was in a certain zone where i was like what have i learned in my life you know like those kind of things were coming out of me and um that line in particular sometimes um i, I found it's best to just keep some things private is 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 one of the biggest lessons i've learned in my life uh since childhood for sure and it continues to ring true so well let's play a little game 
shall we, about how involved in your numbers you are. I don't know if you're a stats, if you're, are you an analytics guy when it comes to sports? Uh, not at all, no. Yeah. No, just give, me a, good, I can play. give me a good scout. <laughs> I don't need no fucking calculator. All right, so uh, The Best of Times, which is where that lyric is from, that's your, on Spotify, that's your second most listened to song. How many plays? Mm. Um, a million? <laughs> 2.5 million. Okay, that's better than I thought. Uh, earlier today, I was like, oh, the video for the single Do It Anyway off of my new Strange Famous Records album was long enough to learn. I was like, oh, the video Crack 2000, that's pretty sweet. Hey, that's oh, dope. cool. Sea Lion has 3 million listens. Sea Lion. I haven't Hell I can't yeah. I, I I can't I can't stand to open up Spotify um because of the payout I just don't like them No, I just don't that's not how I consume music and that's it's something I have to get over and something I want to explain to people I like B Dolan and Storm Davis Storm Davis who's the manager of Peace the Storm Records. Peace the Storm Peace the Storm he's like we have to have you talk to your fans about Spotify because you've been shitting on them for so long. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not shitting on Spotify. I'm just trying to tell people that if you listen to our stuff on Spotify, it's not quote unquote supporting us. But there are ways that it is actually helpful that they listen to us on Spotify. So I have to specify those things. But I am such a fucking old school curmudgeon. I have not used Spotify yet. And I know that's dumb because I am like, I should do that. I run a record label. I just, let's get off. Let's get off this Spotify thing. Don't feel obligated to, to love Spotify, man. You'll get there. I, I You'll mean, get I'll, there. I'll get, yeah, I will. I will get into it. I, I, I watch Netflix. Why, why can't I listen to it's Spotify? It's the same. It's the same. Right. 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 Russian well, Doll? Is that, am I the only one watching? I Russian love Doll? Russian Doll. Dude. I that was a Russian fucking Doll. great show. Loved it. Yo, that that Russian Doll, <laughs> Russian Doll was a mix of like Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow, and um, what was the other one that I was thinking of? Um, uh, there's one other. I mean, obviously because of the time travel stuff and all that bullshit, but there was one other Inception? thing of like. I kind of uh, thought Memento, even though just the, in the way that the story unfolds for Memento, the viewers. Yeah. yeah, like I know it's that's more of like a. I really did. I really did enjoy it, though. That was one thing. Like me and my my girl, we we binge watched it, and it was like this was really enjoyable. I like that. Yeah, and I like that it was like there was no cliffhanger ending. There was no, yeah, like it was it was um, it wasn't something that was teasing another season. It was all it was all in one nutshell. So I do like the fact that it was it's it's all encompassing. Like there's there's not going to be a season two. But the thing about for me was I can, I forget the redheaded actress's name. Yeah, she's the girl from uh, the Orange Is the New Black. And so I was watching. I was like, oh, or I really like her in Orange Is the New Black. Like, and then ten minutes into the first episode of Russian Dolls, I was like, but in doses. And by the third episode, I was like, I can't watch. I mean, these characters are not that dissimilar. <laughs> I can't watch this character like as the centerpiece for twenty minutes at a time. Give me I, lo I love her. I love her speaking style. I think I think she's a uh, really. You know, she's like real life. Like she's. Had, I think she dates Fred Armisen, but she's been like straight up locked up for like substance abuse. She's oh, about no one that. wants to date Fred Armisen, honestly. Oh, really? Like that cat. <laughs> yo, he's the like, modern day fucking. Uh, 
Andy Kaufman. He is he's, kind of, he's, he's very not, Kaufman-esque, yeah. If you've watched yes. interviews with him, he's not he's not given an easy interview. Like, look at his eyes. He's there's a fucking like there's a black hole of like personality there. <laughs> Isn't there something where he went to South by Southwest and he just realized, yo, everyone here is a musician, so I'm just gonna pretend like I'm doing yeah. interviews. Yes. And like he just ran that's with how, that. Yeah, that's yep. how his career started off. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yep. Ridiculous. Yeah. He's incredibly talented. Incredibly he, talented. He is, Yo, he is one of these people who is he was so interesting, so talented, but there's there's something very wrong inside of them. So like <laughs> FBI is totally on his case. But <laughs> not you, me you though. Know, do you think he knows it? And he's like, Oh, like I'm just yes. gonna dose this out. Okay. Yeah, he totally knows it. Okay. As long as you know, nobody can't you can't judge I, someone who knows that they're not, I, I love I, I actually you know, I love I loves me some Andy Kaufman. I loves me some Fred Armisen, but I'm just saying I would never date these fools. Yeah, <laughs> proceed with caution. Speaking of Andy Kaufman, that was the first of your songs. We, you basically talk about it's you faking your own death just to get attention at the funeral. And I remember listening to. Wait that a song. second! I'm not trying to get attention. <laughs> well, maybe not. Attention. I just want to see who shows up. That's all. <laughs> Did they pay the cover charge? That would be ill if you charge <laughs> charge cover. We had a door deal. I need the fucking money. Uh, so in terms of your writing style that it's interesting because while that was the song that got me hooked it's not the kind of song I can play for like my wife and be like you've never heard of this guy here check this one out this will rope you in what are right. the songs that you would throw at somebody who's like it's not even that they're like oh I don't like rap they're just like I really just don't know shit about it I really don't know much about music I just want to hear something catchy what would you play for him as far as catchiness is concerned, I would say Sea Lion. That seems to be the one that like everyone gravitates toward for the catchiness of the chorus because it's not me on the chorus. <laughs> as far as did you write the um, chorus? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Bonnie Prince Billy. Was it on there? Like someone hit you with a beat that had the chorus, or like what? No, no, no. Um, together. Nah, he he put together the song, uh, the the guitar and the lyrics, and sent it over to us. Alias made the beat out of it. Um, I never got confirmation on what the hell the chorus means. Um, I just kind of wrote lyrics that existed in a similar realm of what I kind of interpreted the lyrics in the chorus to be. And it's only one verse. I mean, Sea Lion is a very strange song for its popularity. It's it's one. It's on verse. a CSI episode, right? Uh, no, Bones. Bones. Okay. Yeah, it's also in um, it's also in a movie called Cry Wolf with uh, Bon Jovi. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yo, you should. You and Bon Jovi got a collab, man. I would love to do that. We're gonna hang out with Robert Kraft and just like, you know. I'm happy that we were over an hour in before we we're like, so sea lion, right, right, right. <laughs> no, but yeah, for some reason, for some reason, that song resonated with so many people, and, and it's a great it's song. One of the more popular yeah, songs. It's a great song. Yeah, but it, it's just weird how that is the one that kind of right cracked the code somehow. I bet Epitaph had a lot to do with it. I mean, the the audience. I think that was, you know what I, I think a lot of it is? When you signed with Epitaph, to that point, all you had was the sick of and then the and personal journals. And I feel like a healthy distrust was really, like that was like your cleanup hitter album. 
that was really the one that like had to land i think the hardest particularly with getting exposure to that new audience and that punk aesthetic and i think sea lion is like right down the middle it hits hard it's emotive but it's not whining yeah, uh, I also the, think it's just the sound quality of it, and I also right? think because yeah. the fact that it was mastered wonderfully, yes. <laughs> you know, it just has that. Job. Yeah, um, Alias killed it. Like rest in peace to Alias, because he, like that dude, did the the Escape Artist beat you? as well. <laughs> What's that? So we have the soundboard where, like, whenever we you know, say somebody's name who we respect, we who, say, are, who you? are you? And it's Nardwar. Oh, okay, well, I'm Sage Francis, and I'm <laughs> trying to explain why Sea Lion seems to be the only song I can't not play every show of my life. So I know you, you probably don't want to talk too much about this, but ha- the, everything with Alias, like, have you stayed in contact with his wife? How's everybody doing? Yeah, I actually, just got a text from her a couple hours ago. Um, B is more in contact with her than I am. Um, but we stay in we stay in regular contact. We want to make sure that her and the girls are not left for fucking naught. We want to make sure things are taken care of. It's I I can only imagine what the heck she's going through. It's such a terrible situation. The fact that he just he died unexpectedly of a heart attack last year. Um left two little girls and his wife and yeah. they married you know it's they were high school sweethearts that's all they know we we are just trying to make sure they are never totally left to like I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I, I like feel, they don't need. Like, they're not going to need for material things. Yeah, I, and emotional I, support. I know because there's so much they she got to do with the house. She got so much with his equipment. She got so much to deal with regarding like his music stuff and how money is handled. And um, it's a very, very, very difficult situation. But that that is compounded by our own situations. Um, in our own business in our own music and we're trying to like finagle some type of thing where we can juggle all of this and everyone can be okay and I think we can do that and I think we are but yes um, the saddest uh, the hardest hitting thing about all of this is that Alias was and this is so cliche but he was the nicest fucking dude ever he was the best father ever. He was the best husband ever. He was so nice. And it, the fact that those people leave us so soon is just soul crushing. So the rest of us look at that and we're like, now we have to fucking make up for this wonderful thing that is gone now. How do we do that? That's what we're doing. We're doing our best but there's no replacing Alias. I think it also, you know, our mutual friend Cubby Bear also passed, and, you know, an idea, you know, and after enough people like that pass, I think it really, and I don't mean it poetically or even spiritually, but you gain a lot by appreciating people when they're here. You know, and I think it's... That's true. It's also good, but can we we deal with the fact that the best fucking people go? (laughs) It's like, the nicest motherfuckers go, man. Like DJ Steph as well. I mean, Cubby Bear, DJ Steph, Alias, 
uh, you know, rest in peace to Barry Crimmins. It's like these alias. It's like these fucking dudes' idea. Like these dudes are fucking so nice. Like the worst people are still alive. Right. They live forever, man. They live forever. So like. Well, so that's I I, the one thing I take. Well, one of the things I take from it is that I don't know. I feel like as you know, some look at Bill Cosby. Like if someone's alive long enough, like so they're gonna do something fucked up or something fucked up from their past is gonna come. And sometimes I think as long as a person who's gone, their positive energy is here, and that's always what they'll be remembered by. I mean, that's such a, a sliver of comfort relative to the whole thing. But like, I'll never have a negative memory of of idea or cubby beer, you know. Yeah, I well, I I don't I didn't know them as well as I know Alias, and I know Alias could live forever and never have darkness take over his reputation. Um, idea, I think he was a fucking fraud and a, a liar and a piece of shit freestyler. What? Um, <laughs> I think he could never battle me and win. So like. Fuck that, you know. But, Ladies um, and gentlemen, we brought idea back. <laughs> Exclusive. Been waiting. Been waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I miss. I miss. Duh, I miss Mikey like a motherfucker. Like I really do. I, I miss being able to talk shit with him. I miss being able to like trade jabs with him. Um, he was he was on some whole other shit though. He. he like I'm probably more in line with what idea was as an artist than I was with alias. Cause he was more of a domestic dude. That's, that's kind of why I'm hung up on what was lost with alias just cause he was taking care of his, his stuff and other people. And, um, and he was so selfless in all that he did. And I would love to learn from that. And, idea was my motherfucking homie and we had great adventures together and I know what he was exploring as an artist and I understand that um, and hopefully we can make sense of why people are here when they are and they leave when they do but neither of the, those losses make sense to me and I hate it so we should probably talk about something else. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about. All right. I got. A, I got a couple things for you. Let's talk about. Okay. My God. I'm, I'm glad we had the opportunity to discuss this. You made a mix, a mixed cloud. It was something you put on SoundCloud called Unjustified, and it's an interesting take on the Neptunes and Michael Jackson and Justin Timberlake and Justin Timberlake sort of whatever he's done with music. Did you ever get any feedback from him or anyone associated with him? Uh, like his actually, fans talking to you? Not, no, not really. Um, B Dolan actually was able to access the stems in order to put together that mix where he realized that, um, the music on Justified was originally intended for Michael Jackson. Oh. And then he was able to show that the songs that Justin Timberlake made were pretty much just templates of Michael Jackson songs. So he put them, he mashed the music together to show how that works. 
That's on, that's still on SoundCloud. I can't believe it has not been taken down yet by copyright strikes, oh, and I don't want to like uh, <laughs> bring that upon us. But uh, it's there. It's called Unjustified. It's a B Dolan production, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just think that I would love for someone like Justin Timberlake to own up to any of that and be like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of just. I'm malleable. I'll do whatever people say. I know. I'm just, you know. Do you think that was him? Somebody saying to him, hey, do the song in the structure. He was just straight up biting him. Uh, no, I think someone someone was telling him it was... Uh, uh, do this, white Pharrell. boy. Pharrell. No, Pharrell was, was kind of guiding the whole project because Pharrell had made the music for Michael Jackson and then ended up having to settle for Justin Timberlake and then he had to cut he had to coach Justin Timberlake through the sessions in order to get the songs done wow. yeah that's crazy yeah so you and JT got anything in the works or <laughs> I got, DJing for you on the, the mix I've said it, I've said coming it out 2019 I've said it before. I will say it again. I got nothing against you, JT. If you ever want to work together, I am here at your disposal. Um, B. Dolan, not so much because <laughs> you disrespect the queen. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Britney Spears des deserves more respect than you gave her. That's all. Nice. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Oddly enough, I saw a Justin Timberlake video and my man had a machine uh, beat maker and he's like, banging out beats at the beginning of this video I guess it came out like last year or the year before a, mach a machine like, oh the machine sampler the machine sampler yeah right 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 I, I, I had the same feeling when in one of his videos I saw him beatboxing I was like alright alright dude calm down <laughs> that's right he like, wait did you he, see him wait did you see him I'm, beatboxing I'm for, sure for Brother one, Ali uh, I'm pretty sure uh, that sounds familiar too I'm, in one yeah, of his a videos video. There's a video of Brother Ali. He's rapping in Aspen, Colorado, at some like, like hoity-toity resort, and Justin Timberlake comes up and grabs a microphone and starts beatboxing. Okay. And, and Brother Ali has no idea who the fuck it is because he can't really see. So he's like, he kind of like brushes him off. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's amazing. I know how I'm ending tonight. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> speaking <laughs> speaking of ending tonight we know that you got fatherly duties a lot of stuff right. to do before the tour so once again people can go to strangefamous.com to get tour dates when the album's dropping all that good stuff yeah we're going to be announcing really soon you guys can probably release this sooner than uh, later you tell us because um, we're going to announce the album information in five days so Fuck it. Like, if you want to release this in a week, we're good. Okay. Okay, cool. cool. Appreciate that. So, thank you for talking to us about it. Epic Beardman. Uh, this was supposed to be fun. Thanks for making it so shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, man. definitely. Thanks for your time. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Love y'all. Uh, I'll be in the crowd on April 5th, Mercury Lounge, okay. New York City. All right. Yeah, hit me up.